0: So if if you have a Bible with you, please do turn with me. Mark chapter 11, starting reading at verse 27. This is God's word. (coughs) Then they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you This authority to do these things. But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men they feared the people, for all counted John, to have been a prophet indeed. So they answered and said to Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat and built a tower, and he leased it to vine dressers and went away to a far country now at vintage time he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers and they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed again he sent them another servant and at him they threw stones wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully treated and again he sent another and him they killed and many others, beating some and killing some. Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he sent him to them last, saying, They will respect my son. But those vine dressers said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read this scripture? This stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvellous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Amen. We'll end our reading there at verse 12 and thank God for it. Folks, please do have your uh, Bibles open to Mark chapter 11 as we uh, work through this passage together. You'll remember what we heard about last week, what, what we saw in Mark 11 last week, Jesus cursed a fig tree. And he cleansed the temple. And you'll remember the connection between the two, that that the fig tree looked promising from a distance. But up close, it was empty, just like the temple. It wasn't fulfilling its God-given purpose, just like the temple. And what Jesus is doing is exercising authority. Who, Who curses a fig tree? And then it withers. You could try it this afternoon. You could go out and and see if you have any trees in your garden and you could curse them and see what happens the next day. I don't think it would make a difference. But Jesus said to this tree one day, may no one eat fruit from you again, and the next day it's withered. Jesus has authority to do these things. He goes into the temple And he talks about it as my house. What's going on here with Jesus? Really, these things are just more things in a long line of Jesus exercising authority in the world. The first eight chapters of Mark are all about Jesus showing the world who he is. Remember the kind of things that Jesus has done. He healed the sick. He raised the dead, he forgave sins, he conquered evil, he commanded creation. Jesus is is walking around this world as if he owns the place. And so, well, the straw that breaks the camel's back for the religious leaders are his actions in the temple. Finally, they crack, they, they want to know Jesus. Where did you get this authority from? Who are you? In our passage this morning, we we see Jesus's authority being questioned. We see it being explained and we see it being rejected. We're going to start. Our first point is that the authority of the Son is questioned. Jesus is back to the scene that we saw last week. Remember, he, he was in the temple. There were buyers and sellers and money changers. Jesus had cleansed the temple But he wasn't finished with the temple. He went back the next day, verse 27 in our passage. They came again to Jerusalem and as he was walking in the temple. he, He was back in the temple, the very place where he had driven people from the day before. And while he's there, this group approaches him. And the group is described as the chief priests, the scribes and the elders. Now three groups of people in one who come to Jesus—they uh, are all members of the Sanhedrin, the ruling court of the Jews—and each of these groups represents a particular sect within the Jewish religion. And so this group that comes to question Jesus, well, there's there's maybe a few from the chief priests and a few from the scribes and a few from the the, the elders. They kind of all come together. It's it's like a delegation being sent. And the point that we need to understand about this is that it's not just a certain aspect of the Jewish community who are annoyed by Jesus. They're actually united in their hatred of Christ. And so they come and ask him a couple of questions. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? Now, they may be referring to the actions of of Jesus up to this point, to everything he's done. But I think they're most clearly referring to what he did in the temple the day before. And of course, it's an important question. They're asking an important question. Jesus, remember, came in and he wrecked the place. And so these people who have responsibility for, you know, overseeing the temple and for teaching the Jewish people. Well, they're asking a good question. Who are you, Jesus? Who do you think you are? To come in here and do the things you're doing? Who are you to clear out our temple? It's a good question to ask. But the fact that they're asking it now could really only mean one of two things. Either they've not been paying attention to what Jesus has been doing up to this point. Or they don't want to believe that he is who he says he is. We started studying Mark over a year ago. It's been a long journey through the gospel. Let, let me remind you, all the way through, Mark has been trying to show us something. He's been trying to show us that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what he said right at the beginning of Mark, chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so Jesus has been healing the sick. And he does so to demonstrate his power, his authority. He's demonstrated it over the the world, over the physical world. He, He calms the storms. And he demonstrates it over the spiritual forces of darkness, casting out demons. Jesus has done so many miracles that it's become clear to us as we read, Mark, that he is very, very special. Not only has he done the things he's done, He has forgiven sin. He says to people, your sins are forgiven. And that's something only God can do. There have even been a couple of incidences in Mark's gospel where the very heavens have opened and the voice of the Father has declared that this man, Jesus, is his son. And all of this, well, it came to a peak, didn't it, in in chapter 8 when Peter declared, you are the Christ. That's what we know from reading Mark's gospel. But the religious leaders, well, they might not have been there to see or hear all of this, but they know it. It's been going on under their noses. And so they ask Jesus, where is your authority coming from? And we're probably thinking, isn't it obvious by now where his authority is coming from? He's the son of God. And so I think we have to assume They have the other reason for asking the question. They have the answer. They've seen all the facts to back up the answer. So they must have another reason for asking it. They knew the answer, but they refused to believe it. They knew who Jesus was, but they were refusing to believe it. There are many people like that in our world today. There are atheists who claim not only that they don't believe in God, but they don't want there to be a God. You see, if there is a God, if there is a God, then our lives must be orientated towards him. If there is a God, then our lives have to change. I've described it to you before, like a box of Ikea furniture. If there's a creator and a designer and a set of instructions well, then we have to build the furniture according to the maker's instructions. And if we don't do that, then we can't expect the furniture to stand. We can't expect it to fulfil its intended purpose. And we might even invalidate the warranty. And that's what it is with the truth of God. God's word tells us that there is a God and, and tells us that we have to believe in him. And not only do we have to believe in him, then we have to live according to his law. And so it's no wonder that there are people who don't want there to be a God. They want to do their own thing. The only way to be logically consistent is that if you want to live by your own rules, you have to deny the existence of God. But whether or not there's an atheist in this world who denies the existence of God or doesn't want there to be a God, it doesn't change the fact that God is there. It doesn't make God any less real for us to deny his existence. Because I have to say, in the church, we're not immune to this. Most of us here today will acknowledge Jesus as Saviour. Some people won't, but most of us will. But we might not like the fact that Jesus is our Lord. We like Jesus, gentle, meek and mild, but maybe we're unwilling to submit to his authority. Are there any areas of your life where you're unwilling to submit? God has written his law on your heart, and yet we still find ways to wriggle out of obedience to God. If you're a professing Christian here today, then you really have to submit to the authority of Jesus. And that's with all of our lives, not just part of our lives. The religious leaders know who Jesus is, but they won't accept it in their hearts. And for them, it's very simple. The reason why not? They're jealous. They're jealous. They don't want Jesus to have the authority. Until Jesus came, they've been in charge. And then this Galilean shows up and starts acting like he owns the place. They were quite happy being in charge. And so they question him, they try and put him on the spot, and they hope maybe Jesus will condemn himself. I wouldn't like being put on the spot the way Jesus is here. I, I'm not great at thinking on my feet. Often when somebody questions me about something, it takes me two or three days, and then I go, oh, yeah, that's what the answer is supposed to be. Jesus is great at handling these situations. Of course he is. He's no problem with being put on the spot. Jesus responds to their question with another question. Uh, He's not being evasive, but he's making an important point. You can see what he says in verses 29 and 30. He says, I also will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? You see, John's authority to baptise came from God. And so it is the same source of authority as Jesus has. Now, Jesus has a greater ability to exercise that authority. Jesus is not a servant in the household. He's the son. But their authority has the same source. It comes from God. The religious leaders don't want to be drawn into this because They can't admit that John's authority is from God. If they do, then Jesus will just say, well, look, what did John say about me? What did John say about Jesus? He he said that Jesus was superior. He said that Jesus should increase and John should decrease. And so if they affirm John's authority, they would really be saying that Jesus is who he says he is. They would negate their own authority and they would have to submit to Christ and they don't want to submit to him. But the other option. Well that's equally difficult. If they say John's authority was from men. Well people wouldn't like that. The people believed that John was a prophet. And the, the Sanhedrin didn't want to go against what the people believed. Because again that would undermine them. The people surely would choose Jesus. And so they respond with a pretty feeble We don't know. We don't know. They do know. But they're just too afraid of losing their own power. And so Jesus responds and well then, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But Jesus kind of does give them an answer. He cloaks what he's saying in a parable, but he does explain his authority. Our next section, the authority of the Son explained. Verse 33 Jesus began to speak to them in parables. Now, boys and girls, you'll know what a parable is. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And we often think of parables as sermon illustrations, but they're not sermon illustrations. You see, when I give an illustration in my sermon, I use it so that hopefully it will make things easier to understand parables are quite often used by Jesus to hide a meaning, to make people think harder, to make it more difficult to understand. And that's the case for many of the parables in the Gospel accounts. And so when we have it explained for us, it makes sense. But if we didn't have it explained, we might be a wee bit unsure. This parable, I think, is actually quite easy to understand. And what Jesus is doing here, I think, is avoiding you know, a scene. He, he doesn't want a, a ruckus to start. He wants to make his point, but he doesn't say what he has to say directly. So let me remind you of the parable. Let me refresh it in our minds. Uh, chapter 12, a man planted a vineyard. Well, let me pause there because this is a familiar story to the Jewish people. It comes from Isaiah chapter 5. The nation of Israel is frequently referred to in the Old Testament as a vineyard. And so when people hear this in the context, well, they likely know that Jesus is referring to the nation of Israel. Let's continue. He set a hedge around it, took a place for the wine vat, built a tower. He leased it to vine dressers and went to, to a far country. So, Again, Jesus is doing what Jesus does with his parables. He's using familiar cultural concepts. Probably sitting in front of him or standing in front of him at the time, there were tenant farmers. Now, the tenants in the New Testament aren't as we might think of them. That They are people who kind of manage the farm for the master, but they don't own the produce of the farm. They're overseers. In the vineyard. Well, what happens next? At vintage time the man sent a servant to the vine dressers. That he may receive some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him. And beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again he sent them another servant. And they threw stones. Wounded him in the head. And sent him away shamefully treated. And again he sent another and him they killed. And many others. Beating some and killing some. Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to them last, saying, they will respect my son. You see what's going on? This is like a a potted history of the nation of Israel. God has left religious leaders in charge of his people. He's given them responsibility over the religion of the nation, over worship. But when it comes time for God, the the master, to be paid what he's owed owed, and and what he's owed is worship, is is simply faith and repentance. Well, when it comes time for him to be paid, it doesn't come. And so he sent his servants, the prophets. And we can read about the prophets in the Old Testament. And the prophets say, repent. They call people to repentance. Repentance. To demand that God has paid the fruit of his vineyard. That people turn to him in faith. That they would believe on his name and worship him. That's what the prophets say. But each prophet he sends is rejected. Some are beaten, some are killed. This is the history of national Israel. They are God's own people. Of all the people on earth... Who is it that should repay God for creating them? It should be Israel. They are blessed beyond any other nation. They have been brought into covenant with the living and true God. And yet they continually reject his messengers. That's true throughout the scriptures. Well, the penultimate messenger is John the Baptist. And his authority over the vineyard has been rejected by the religious leaders. John was a messenger of God. He called for people to repent and believe on what happened to him. He was killed. He was beheaded by Herod. Think about the patience, the compassion that God as the master of the vineyard is showing here. Finally, what will he do? Will he he send his son? Surely they will not reject his son. So Jesus really is explaining what his authority is. He's explaining his authority to do what he's done in the temple, what he's done ever since his public ministry began. His authority comes from the fact that he is the son of the master of the vineyard. He was there when the vineyard was planted. When the walls were built, they were built by the word of God's power. They were built by Jesus. This is his vineyard. He has the authority here. But as we know, his authority is not respected. And so we come to our final point today. The authority of the son is rejected. If we continue with the parable, verse 7 of chapter 12... Those vine dressers said among themselves, This is the heir, come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And so we see in this parable what we've already said. These people don't want Jesus to have authority. If he has authority, they have none. If Jesus has authority, then they have to submit to him, they have to pay him what they owe. And so. As illogical as it sounds, they make one final grab for power and they decide to kill him. Verse 8 they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Isn't this a prophecy? This is a prophecy of what is going to happen to Jesus by the end of this week that Mark is writing about. The religious leaders will take Jesus and they will kill him, and they'll kill him outside the walls of the city. They will crucify him, his body broken, his blood spilled. The very people that God has left in charge of his vineyard. The people who should recognise this is the son. The ones with responsibility for interpreting the scriptures and yet they reject the son of God. They don't want to have him to have authority and so they try and manipulate him, they try and make him serve them and whenever they can't do that, they resort to killing him. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 11, we read, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. I wonder do you see what's going on here? Whenever Jesus came in the flesh, It changed the whole world. Jesus has the authority to do and say what he did because he is the master. He's the son of the vineyard owner. And what he's come to do is bring about a new humanity. This is the the coming of Christ, is the end of the, the religious institution for national Israel. No longer... Are the ethnically Jewish God's chosen people? They've rejected the Messiah. And so Jesus tells us what will happen. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Well, who are the others? We are the others. We are the others. We are the vineyard of God. If we believe in Jesus by faith and turn to him in repentance, if we give Jesus his rightful place as the son who has authority, then we're brought in. We, we become part of God's people. We don't have to be ethnically Jewish. Gentiles like you and me can be God's children. This section doesn't end with the rejection of the son. Jesus finishes by quoting Psalm 118. There's something beautiful about the way Mark puts this together because Psalm 118 was sung as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That line is from Psalm 118. It's a psalm that was used during Passover And so this week of Passover, it's sounding out across Jerusalem and Jesus says to the delegation of religious leaders, have you not even read the scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvellous in our eyes. Jesus says, haven't you even read it? And the truth is, it was very likely that they had sung it that week. It's very likely that they'd sung it that very week. Maybe for them, as is often the case with us, they sang the words, but they didn't really think about them. You see, Jesus didn't come simply to show us a better way to live. He he didn't come to give us an example of how to be nice to one another. Jesus came as the son of the vineyard owner to exercise authority over his creation. He came to call us to faith and repentance. The religious leaders didn't like that. They had constructed a Jesus they could fit in their pockets. They thought they could control him. This is what an American pastor, uh, Dr. Robert Rayburn, says about this. He says, the stone, of course, is Jesus. His rejection is his crucifixion. And he becomes the capstone in his resurrection and ascension to glory. This is a marvellous work indeed. He goes on, any time I or you pair Jesus down to a figure we can be comfortable with, we're guilty of murdering him. He didn't come to earth to become whatever we feel in our hearts we want him to be. He's not for some a good teacher and for some a revolutionary and for some a good role model. He is the Lord Christ, come to redeem his people from their sins. And call his people to follow him as Lord. Friends, it's the very rejection of Jesus that brings us life. It is through the rejection of his son that the Master has taken away the vineyard from the religious institution of the Jewish nation, and he's given it to others. We celebrate the rejection of Jesus. We come to him to believe in him by faith. To submit to him as our Lord and Saviour. Because through his rejection, through his body broken, his blood spilled, through him we are forgiven. And friends, you can be forgiven the times that you have rejected his authority. Maybe today... This is the first time that you've realized that Jesus has authority over your life. Would you submit to him? Would you allow him to be your savior and lord? We come to Jesus in submission as our lord, and he doesn't exercise his authority through force but through belief. The stone the builders have rejected, that Israel have rejected, has become the capstone the head of a new humanity. And as members of the church, we are part of that new humanity. We've been given life through the death of the Son. Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. Today we've seen his authority questioned. We've seen it explained. And we've seen it rejected by the religious leaders. Please don't reject Jesus today. By a humble submission to his authority. As the only one who can forgive your sins. And the Lord of your whole life. Let me pray for us.